All right. Shall we talk about uh, dirty Protestants? Welcome to Biopics Mostly Suck, and Happy New Year, everyone. We made it. Not only did we make it, we're back. We took a little bit of a hiatus, but now we're here to share the podcast where we provide the true story behind movies based on a true story. And our movie for this episode is Bernie, the story of a mortician played by Jack Black, who takes up with a rich widow played by Shirley MacLaine. He kills her and is prosecuted by the district attorney played by Matthew McConaughey. My guests for today's episode are my frequent collaborator, John Helix, a local musician here in the San Diego area. Find him on Facebook and Twitter at John Helix Official. Our good friend Don will also join us to discuss the movie. As we usually do on this podcast, we fact-check the episode for accuracy, but it was the true story that happened after this movie based on a true story was released that made this a really really strange movie to research. Bernie gets a 6.8 out of 10 rating from the Internet Movie Database and an 88% fresh rating from Rotten Tomatoes. How is Bernie as a movie? And how is it as a medium to document a murder in a small town in Texas? We'll rate the movie as entertainment and as fact, and give a grade at the end of the episode. If you're ready, let's get started. If not, just hit pause. We'll still be here. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm locked and loaded and ready for some fruitcakes. Are you ready to uh, have some Christmas and uh, Sunday Easter uh, little treats here? Uh, wow, that, that sounds just lovely. Why, well, that certainly is nice. <laughs> Which is very appropriate, considering we're going to talk about Bernie, which takes place in East Texas. Oh, how nice. Oh, how nice. How nice. How nice. It's just not done. (laughs) That's good. It's just not done. (laughs) The higher the hair, the closer to God. So we're, we're here to talk about the film Bernie and... You wanted to start out by talking about the films of Jack Black. Yes. The film... So, of course, Jack Black. I'm a huge fan of Jack Black. Um, Tenacious D, I think, you know, I think he's just a fucking brilliant musician. Incredibly gifted. And I felt that Bernie was sacrilegious, pardon the pun, in the sense of using Jack Black's voice for that atrocious, disgusting fucking music. Oh my God, I didn't think that's where you would go with it. That's where I was going with it. Really? So you have a problem with Jack Black singing religious hymns? Yes, but in particular, the in that ugly context, in those ugly churches, in that ugly Sunday school church voice, it was it just felt to me like a degradation of his talent. Okay. Singing wise, I felt like it was not the right role for him to for him. I felt like for the film, it was perfect. Okay, for Jack Black, it was thoroughly just disappointing because man, Jack Black gives me a kick in the balls, and this just made me fucking 
loathe the character, which I'm I know I'm supposed to, but just absolutely loathe listening to him sing. And I and I I don't want to ever not enjoy listening to Jack Black sing. Okay, well, I did not think you were going to go that way with it. Where do you think I was going to go with it? Well, definitely not about his singing in the movie. Oh. I thought it would be more about the character, or you oh, no, but you're, I, you're not liking the content of the film, or no, no. I think Galifianakis should have played his role, though. I, I think, think that would have been, been a better choice. That would have been interesting. Uh, okay, well, we'll go deeper into talking about the film itself. I was just curious about where you were going with that, but so you know, it might have been an effort for him to sing that badly. I'm sure it was. Mm-hmm. It, because I've got to see Tenacious D live, and fucking brilliant. I mean, I've always said, in a way, they remind me of Frank Zappa, which is the music is so technically <laughs> proficient. It is executed yeah. so well that the subject matter that they sing about tends to be subpar to the music that's being yeah. produced. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, that's part of the fun of it. And oh, I don't know. Did I ever play the live album for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Copenhagen. Yeah, with thousands of Copenhagen locos, uh, locals singing "Fucker Gently" uh, in chorus. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I agree with you. Yes, and that is the Church of Jack Black. There we go. Church of Jack Black. What a friend we have in Jack and Kyle. <laughs> K and G. <laughs> I I agree. I agree. And Don, how do you feel about Jack Black? Um, I I think he is an incredible musician, and he has an appreciation for the history of music, too, Mm -hmm. which I always appreciate in an artist. I tend to agree now that it's been contextualized that way by John. Yes, I think that was definitely part of what was bothering me, is hearing that treacly, insipid Protestant. It's a Protestant voice, and it's a Puritan voice. It's a mm-hmm. disgusting, banal. Mm-hmm. H.L. Mencken has an essay about this. It is the look of a Presbyterian grinning. Ooh. That's what it reminds me of. Oh, you don't like when someone sings like that? I got the willies when you just said that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no. I, I, I'm right there with you, and there's that coldness. Yes. That lack of emotion, it's straight devotion, n- no warmth, and it's childlike. Yeah, it's a basement. Yeah. Should I see if I can do the whole discussion? No. Like this? No. I will stop right now if you do that. Really? Yes. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the film Bernie because. Bernie. Bernie. The year is 1996 and Bernie Tida. Now, it's interesting because I took a look at some footage and Bernie himself pronounces his last name Tida. Mm-hmm. In the movie, after I did my research, I usually do this. I, I'll watch the film, do research, and then when I go back and watch the movie after doing the research, I notice some little things in there. Mm-hmm. And the thing I noticed is that. His pronunciation in the movie, Jack Black always says Tita, which the real Bernie does. But other people in the community will say either Tita or Titi because his name is spelled T-I-E-D-E. So that's one thing I noticed is that even in the context of the movie, the characters are not pronouncing his name correctly. Some are pronouncing it Tita. Some get it correct, some don't. I just thought that was an interesting level of reality to bring into the film. 
on the pronunciation of a name. The Minutia. The Minutia. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, year is 1996, and Bernie Tita, played by Jack Black, is an assistant mortician in the small town of Carthage, Texas. He is a beloved member of the community and has become the only friend of the wealthy and recently widowed Marjorie Nugent, who I think was played superbly by Shirley MacLaine. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, yeah. There are things another actress would have done with this character, which is to get across the anger. But what Shirley MacLaine did was I thought she got across the pain the character has. That scene when she closes the gate on him mm-hmm. and she says, don't she screams don't leave me there's not anger coming through in that that is a hurt woman who is responding to whatever has hurt her in life and is influencing how she acts towards other people and i thought her putting that layer in there Mm -hmm. brought it to a point where it, it was just far superior to how I think any other actress could have approached that role Mm. because the easy way way would be, she's just mean, especially when you're talking a dark comedy, Mm -hmm. she could have easily played up the mean aspect to give more credence to why people just didn't like her or viewed her in whatever the way they viewed her. That was negative. However, she put that pain under there, which I think gave me an understanding of the character more than beyond her just being angry. The rest of the town considers Marjorie to be cold and caustic, but the elderly Marjorie and the 30-something Bernie are soon inseparable. Marjorie begins to place increasing demands on Bernie's attention, which cuts his social life short. After Bernie murders Marjorie, he regains his social life and explains away Marjorie's absence for nine months. It is Marjorie's stockbroker who has been calling on Marjorie because if she's not making trades, he's not getting a commission. After getting a wealth of excuses from Bernie about why Marjorie is not available, the stockbroker contacts her family, which results in an authorized police search of her house. Marjorie's body is found in the freezer in the garage. The local district attorney, Danny Buck Davidson, Charges Bernie with first-degree murder. This means it was premeditated, and that's going to be important later on in the discussion. Bernie claims emotional abuse as a mitigating circumstance. The citizens of Carthage are on Bernie's side, with some believing that Marjorie was such an awful person that she deserved to die. Davidson requests a change of venue for the trial in order to obtain an unbiased jury. And it's called out in the movie, This is Unusual. The prosecution rarely ask for a change of venue because what usually happens is the jury is going to be biased against the person being prosecuted. In this instance, the problem was that the town was with Bernie and there was a potential that they would have found him innocent. Well, theoretically, there's always a potential they would have found someone innocent or not guilty. The idea was just because they like him. They were biased towards him. Yeah. At the trial, Bernie is found guilty and given a life sentence. Now, uh, you had made a comment earlier about the texture of the film. The visual texture of the film. What do you mean by that? The visual texture felt very um, bland. It felt very insipid. It felt tasteless. It honestly just reminded me of the feeling of disgusting donuts and coffee after a Protestant Sunday church service Mm, and that feeling 
translated to the visual representations and the and the and I and it was something about the coloration of the film too. I don't know. It, it just it seemed off white to me. You know, in a house, if you move into an apartment or a house and someone smoked for like 10 or 20 mm, years yeah. and there's a, that yellow on the walls. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It kind of gave me that sensation visually, but also um, that feeling of, it felt gross. That was, mm-hmm. that's the best way to, to describe it. Um, now, did you feel that just purely visually or did it have to do with the subject matter? It's both. See, the visual, the visuals were off-putting, but I was, I tied the visuals into sensory experiences i've had in churches and they seem to match the, the visual of the film seemed to match that feeling which you know I, I know a lot of people love that feeling but um to me it's a fucking anathema you know interesting don your thoughts I, I think that's a good way of describing how i felt about it too and it does give a sense of certain churches um for example Rob and I had gone to a wedding once, and I won't get into the details of it, but it was someone he knew through work, and it it was so about just the process of church that other than mentioning the bride and the groom at the very beginning, and then man and wife, man and wife, right? they said almost nothing about them. It was like 45 minutes or so of just talking about... How love is patient and kind? No, it was all fire and brimstone. Oh, they went... They oh, went yeah. Okay. Oh, when a man, like, when a man yeah. leaves his mother and... Or when a woman... Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and they all stood by because none of them knew me. So they stood and waited until Rob would introduce me, even though I didn't know any of them and they all knew each other, obviously. And then... One of them finally looked at Rob and said, aren't you going to introduce your wife? And I said, and I wasn't really thinking about the context. And I just said, well, you know, if you want to talk to me, you know, you're welcome to introduce yourself. Well, you know, I I wanted to see if, you know, Rob was going to. And I was just beside myself. I I, I said, I can't stay here very long. We need to leave soon. It's suffocating. It's It's absolutely suffocating. And it, it doesn't feel like you're being invited into the community to be part of something, it feels like it's being inflicted upon you. Yeah, Yeah, and they were Wesleyan, was the denomination. Yeah. Uh, Well, this movie was directed by Richard Linklater, who we're all fans of. Days of Confused, the Before series, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight, which those were interesting because you're a little younger than Don and I, mm-hmm. but Don and I are on the age of the characters. Are you the exact age of the characters? I think about... Within a year or so. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, so to be able to follow characters your age as they're moving through life over, I think it was uh, 18 years? Yeah. Between yes. the first and third film. Did you both see it when it came out? Before Midnight? Sunrise. Sunrise. I think no, so. I think you introduced us to it. Oh, okay. And then... Yeah, and we watched it on video, on VHS at the time. I remember we all saw Midnight together. We all saw Midnight yeah. together, yeah. No, we had seen before. You think so? Yeah, we had seen before Sunrise. Okay. But yeah, to be the age of the characters and track over those number of years. I want them to do another one so badly in, oh like, my God, in like me 10 too. years. I want, I want to see, the, I want to see the, the passing into older, you know, like mm-hmm. once they become senior citizens, I would, that would be... Oh, that would just be brilliant. Because I, I mean, I, I really do want to know if 
that well we don't shouldn't spoil any no okay, don't never don't spoil yeah. anything on but any yeah of me those too films. okay yeah yeah i want to know too yeah uh link ladder also did school of rock with jack black yeah. as well uh of the 23 townspeople who were the greek chorus of the film 21 had little to no acting experience and were from that area Huh. So they were already familiar with the story. That's a real method. That's real, yeah. real method. <laughs> and this film divided the residents of Carthage, with some saying, you cannot make a dark comedy out of a murder of an 81-year-old woman. The DA Danny Buck Davidson said the movie is not factually accurate because, quote, it doesn't tell her side of the story. Well, that doesn't make it factually inaccurate. That makes it incomplete. I think there's a difference. Now, the movie, I liked the movie. You enjoy watching the movie? I, I thought the movie was well done, and I thought it it it, it treaded that dark comedy line. And, and, you know, I have a problem sometimes when you're talking about the murder of someone. Yeah. Being presented for yeah. laughs. Sure. But I don't think her... If I recall, her murder itself was never presented for laughs. No, that was a tragic moment in the yeah in the mm-hmm. in the film. The dark mm-hmm. the dark comedy of the film came from the reaction of the town yeah. and the efforts that had to be made to find another location because of the reaction of the town. Mm-hmm. That's where the absurdity and the humor comes from. And but, I think that's what it is is an absurdity. Mm-hmm. But the actual events themselves, I don't think, are actually played for laughs in the film. You mean the 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 driving plot lines? Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, so I think to walk that line, Linklater did a really, really good job mm. on that. Yeah. No, I and I agree with you that it's a great film. I think it's incredibly written. It's fabulously constructed. It's just the feeling that it gave me is not to my taste and not to my liking. But is that detrimental? Or is that a credit to the film? It's a credit to the film. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, I... I just separate those things out yeah yeah so uh let me ask you then scale of one through five stars what do we give bernie as a film i'd give it a solid four don i'm not sure because i really i i struggle with making a dark comedy out of the murder even though the the humor was found in the absurdity of this town who so loved this person that they Bernie you mean yes they so loved Bernie that they seemed to think that this woman deserved to die the way she did I I think I'd end up giving it a four because it really was well constructed and it I think it portrayed what I found to be the predatory nature of Bernie the Mm -hmm. vulnerability of what's the woman's full name that would be why am I Marjorie? Marjorie Nugent. Marjorie Nugent. To me, to be sympathetic enough, nobody deserves to mm-hmm. die like that. And the idea that people would say, well, she was yeah. so horrible. Um, yeah. Yeah, that that was that's always tough for me. So as a film? Four. Four stars. I go four stars as well. Four stars all around. I thought it was a well done movie. And what we're going to do next is we're going to talk about the facts. And this is where things are going to get really, really interesting. In this portion of the podcast, we will talk about how the filmmakers presented the facts and compare them to the real persons or events. At the end of our discussion, we will give the film a letter grade for accuracy. Let's get started. 
So we just talked about the plot of the film. And the question is, what is true is what we're going to talk about. And for Bernie, it's a pretty quick answer. Everything in the plot is true. Everything you see presented in the film happened the way it did. The freezer in the courtroom and everything? The freezer in the courtroom. But there has to be a caveat here. Okay. All of it is true. It came from an article written by Skip Hollinsworth for the Texas Monthly, titled Midnight in the Garden of East Texas. Everything that is mentioned Mm -hmm. in the movie is in the article, right down to Marjorie getting on the phone with her accountant to set him straight on how he will address Bernie and to her firing the gardener. There is no embellishment that takes place from the article to the screen. Skip Hollinsworth was a co-writer of the screenplay, along with Richard Linklater. There is one change that was made from the article to the film, and that is the community theater production in reality was Guys and Dolls, not The Music Man. Hmm. Now, other than that, everything else is completely true. Some tidbits that were not mentioned in the film. Other widows became upset that Bernie was not spending time with them when he started working for Marjorie. I have thoughts on that. Please. So if he was spending time with all of these widows, I know his defense was that this was not premeditated and that she had so emotionally abused him that this came to be. I was struck by someone who, at least the way it was portrayed in the movie, very much gave me the sense that he made friends with all the widows and he was trying to figure out what would be the most lucrative one to get the most money out of. Uh, However, Bernie was popular with the women in town. His bail was set at $1.5 million. When women in town started to raise the money to bail him out, District Attorney Danny Buck Davidson added the charge of stealing money from Marjorie to increase his bail amount to $2.7 million. Were they still able to raise the money? Uh, He was not released on bail. You gotta love that. Danny Buck. Danny Buck Buck Davidson. Right? Sounds like something out of a Grisham novel. (laughs) And the one thing not shown in the film is that the twenty two rifle that was used to kill Marjorie was bought by Bernie at her insistence in order to kill armadillos in the yard. In the movie, they just come in and she has him shooting the gun. So you, you're kind of led to believe that it's a gun she had. No, she had him buy the gun to take care of the armadillos. And as far as determining whether the movie sticks close to the facts as reported, that is it. Except we need to talk about the portrayal of Marjorie Nugent in the film. When I research these episodes, I will frequently see a refrain that is repeated in multiple articles. Sometimes it's a falsehood that just gets repeated as a way to explain things. But in my research about Bernie, Shauna Nugent, she is the daughter of Marjorie's only son in real life. She was quoted in multiple articles about how her grandmother was a good and loving person who did not deserve what happened to her even though she could be caustic at times. Shauna said it isn't true that Marjorie had cut off the rest of the family, but other family members, including Marjorie's siblings, have been quoted much less often, and they say, no, they basically got it right. Wow. In doing my research, I started to feel conflicted. 
was a sweet old lady really portrayed in the worst possible way to fit a narrative of a film? It was tough to say because I only had generalizations and impressions that she was an awful person, but no specifics. And then I stumbled across an article about a man named Joe Rhodes from the Dallas News. Joe Rhodes is a sports writer in Texas who covers the college sports beat. He is referred to as the Jack Kerouac of college sports due to his writing style. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's funny. All right. And this article referenced an article he wrote for the New York Times that was titled, How My Aunt Marge Wound Up in the Deep Freeze. Well, let me just take issue with the notion that that is at all Kerouacian. Just on a title? Yes. Okay. How so? Despite Jack Kerouac's faults, the man's vision was one of supreme empathy. Okay. Oh, okay. So he would never write a title like that. He would never joke that about makes, someone else's death that or makes murder. Sense. Well, this guy wasn't joking because in the article he said, "Deep freeze." Yeah, that's being flippant at best. Okay, okay. How my aunt wound up in the deep freeze. I take your argument. Yeah. In this article, he talks about what the movie got right, including the trial lawyers really did wear Stetsons and cowboy boots and really were named Danny Buck Davidson and Scrappy Holmes. (laughs) I love that. I love that so much. Can't, you can't write that. No. <laughs> Daddy Sam's Barbecue and Bail Bonds, just a few blocks from the courthouse in Carthage, population 6,700, really does have a sign that says, you kill it, I'll cook it. And they really did find my Aunt Marge on top of the flounder and under the Marie Callender's chicken pot pies wrapped in a land's end sheet. They had to wait two days to do the autopsy. It took her that long to thaw. When Rhodes So this writer is actually her nephew? Yes. When Rhodes' Aunt Sue was informed of Marjorie's death, the first thing she said is, what a relief. Much later, his mother told him she was afraid of her sister and felt that, quote, she was the devil on earth. Rhodes also shared specifics about his experiences with Aunt Marge, such as, quote, Aunt Marge once threatened to put me in a mental institution because I wouldn't cut my hair. How she chased me around her yard with garden shears because I wouldn't clean out a wasp's nest with my bare hands. How, when I was 14, she locked me in her house for two days and wouldn't let me call home. Finally, when Aunt Marge went to the grocery store, the maid, sympathetic to my plight, unlocked the bedroom door so I could get to the phone and beg my mother to come rescue me. She did, and that's the last time I went to Aunt Marge's house. Wow, that sounds like some mental illness. He goes on to say, Aunt Marge, who loved to sew and shop and didn't have a daughter of her own, tried to get custody of my sister Carrie by having our parents declared unfit. She claimed that my father was an alcoholic, which wasn't true, he barely drank, and that she could provide a more suitable upbringing. It didn't work, but apparently she was serious enough to meet with attorneys. Wow. That's a lot of crazy in one package. Okay, so fleshing out Marjorie Nugent a little more here. You could see why Carthage felt the way they did in some circles. No. 
That still feels excessive. To say someone deserved to be shot to death, mm-hmm. to be murdered and then yeah. stuffed in a freezer and then have the money pulled out of their estate so someone else could live on it? No. Right. I can understand why no one wanted to speak to her, why mm-hmm. no one would mourn her death, but to say they were okay with her murder? No. There's a, there's a distinct chasm between those two things. Yeah, because you're getting into animal territory when you start... <laughs> I I'm, I don't have a good feeling about that person, and therefore they should die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Skip Hollinsworth, who wrote hmm. the original story and screenplay, told Rhodes about the movie that was being made, and Rhodes visited the set on the day they filmed his uncle's funeral. He saw the actors who portrayed his family and met the actress who portrayed his mother. He said this about being on the set, quote, But the freakiest part by far was seeing Shirley MacLaine looking so much like Aunt Marge. There was a natural physical resemblance. Aunt Marge, like McLean, had red hair and pale, freckled skin. But what really unsettled me was the look on McLean's face as she went into character, with pursed lips and accusing eyes. I'd seen that face before. Whenever Aunt Marge disapproved of something, which seemed to be most of the time, it usually meant she was going to tell you, in no uncertain terms, why you weren't good enough or smart enough or otherwise worthy of her time. She used it on sales clerks, on waiters, housekeepers, and cooks. She used it on my parents. She used it on me. I really hated that face. Wow. Rhodes said, Bernie's not the first one who thought about killing her. He's just the first one who went through with her. Oh, shit. Wow. Woo! God damn. So... So she was reviled. We have some specifics on what mm-hmm. that behavior was that mm-hmm. made people feel that way. Mm-hmm. So we're we looking at like a like an Uncle Leo situation, just a <laughs> crime of passion. You so, know? Are you referring to Seinfeld? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So B- B- Bernie had a brief. So uh, again, I'm I'm, try- I'm playing out that that murder scene um which mm-hmm. is very brief right very brief mm-hmm. he shoots her four times from across the right garage. yeah and then he immediately goes into he recoils into what mm-hmm. have i done and so forth and so and so on so that is um factual uh that he had an out-of-body experience and that yeah that he yes. was okay huh? that that is what he testified to. yes yes that is what he testified to okay and he was sentenced for premeditated murder right so they did not believe that he had an out-of-body experience. Uh, the jury, no. Yeah. That seems they did not. But he maintained that. He maintained that, yes. Okay. So for Bernie, at this point, we have all the facts. <laughs> On a letter grade A through F. And remember, when we do this, we're doing it from the material that was presented. It's a little different when we talked about Never Cry Wolf, because that information was bullshit to begin with. <laughs> mm-hmm. With a purpose, if you recall. I do. Okay. So an environmental aspect. I do. It was purposeful. This is different. This is an article written by a third party mm-hmm. who is reporting what he found in the town and what came from the trial and what the result was. And what is in the film from the article is it tracks. So, which means a letter grade A through F, Don, what would you give it? I give it a B. A B. John? 
Yeah, a B sounds about right. I'm, I'm thinking of a Fleetwood Mac. Uh, I'm just secondhand news right here about mm-hmm. the, about right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I give it a B as well. So B's all around for the factual aspect, which means, hey, we've wrapped this one up pretty quick. And right. if this were any other film, I'd be saying thank you, Don, and thank you, John, and we would wrap it up. However, the true story behind this movie based on a true story continues after the movie has been released. In fact, it's because the movie was released. The movie Bernie divided the town of Carthage. With the release of this movie, some were still in the Bernie camp, while others felt that it was in poor taste to create a dark comedy about an 81-year-old woman in their community who was shot and killed. I I can understand that feeling. But it was not this fact that ticked off Marjorie's granddaughter. It was Bernie's release from prison. Wait, so when did the murder happen and when was he released? Let's take a look at the timeline. Okay. Bernie kills Marjorie in 1996. Mm -hmm. He's arrested in 1997. He's convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison in 1999. Wow, that took a long time for that to come to trial. The movie Bernie was released in 2011. The real Bernie was released from prison in 2014 after serving 17 years of a life sentence. My understanding is that with first-degree murder, you are, you do not have the opportunity for parole. You do not have the opportunity for or, parole. So how did he get released? Well, when the movie was released, a defense lawyer by the name of Jody Calloway Cole. Does everyone in Texas have three names? Yes. Defense lawyer by the name of Jody Calloway Cole contacted Richard Linklater and asked for copies of the trial transcripts. She felt there was something more there. Linklater refers to her as a hero. Cole dug through the evidence and found that among the items taken from Tita's house into police evidence were books about surviving child abuse. She met Tita in prison and arranged for psychiatrists to evaluate him. Tita shared that he had been abused between the ages of 12 and 18, something that had not been mentioned during the trial. One psychiatrist, Richard Pesikoff, reached the conclusion that the abusive relationship from Tita's youth played on the abusive relationship with Nugent. Per Pesikoff, Nugent would force Tita to shave her legs while she was undressed and massage her back with a vibrator. Tita had a sexual relationship with the gardener, which Nugent demeaned. In Persikoff's assessment, the combination of abusive relationships caused Tita to snap and kill Nugent in what is called a disassociative order. This is frequently described as... Disassociative disorder. uh, Sorry, disassociative disorder. This is frequently described as an out-of-body experience. With this information, Jody Cole, the defense attorney, approached District Attorney Danny Buck Davidson to consider the new information. Remember, Davidson is the same man who made his reputation by convincing a jury that Tita was a gold digger and pushed for a life sentence for Tita. Davidson sent psychiatrist Edward Grippen, the same psychiatrist who testified in the trial that Tita did not have any mental issues, to interview Tita. Grippen agreed with Pesikoff's assessment that Tita had repressed his past abuse, combined with hiding his homosexuality, which led him to compartmentalize his emotions and allowed him to act normally during the nine months Marjorie Nugent was in a freezer. Davidson, the DA, said he started to reassess how he viewed the crime 
when he talked to a man who was ten years younger than Tita, who described abuse at the hands of the man Tita said abused him. That man was Tita's uncle, Elmer Doucet. Two other men came forward and claimed that Doucet abused them. Davidson said that if he knew this information during the trial, he would have sought a lesser sentence for Tita. Now, there is a distinction that needs to be noted when Davidson says this, and it needs to be noted because of what Shauna Nugent has been quoted as saying. As we discussed, Shauna believes her grandmother was a kind and sweet woman. Not only was she upset with Tita's release from prison, but she had also been saying that the reason he was released was because of Hollywood. Now, do you know what's meant by that? Like when people say the coasts? Mm-hmm. Well, what's, what's the translation? Well, the translation is that it's liberals, that it's Jews. Jews. Morals. Mm-hmm. Morals. Lack of morality. Yeah. It's code for lack of morality. Yep. Yeah. Cor- They're not law-abiding Christians. Exactly. But a certain kind of Christian. When people say that, they're referring to a specific kind of Christian. Yeah, remember that was uh, during the, uh, not to take a trip down dystopian <laughs> lane, but uh, New York values. Remember yeah. that whole fucking discussion yeah. in the debates? Ted Cruz, he's like, yeah. I think we all know what New, War- New York values are. It's like, uh-huh. fuck, he- you were educated at Yale, weren't you? Like, yep. like, yeah, and he's taking his cues from the first episode of The West Wing. <laughs> Only he doesn't seem to understand (laughs) what was happening there. Yeah. Yeah. According to Nugent, D.A. Davidson, the judge who granted bond and release for Tita, and anyone else that sought to review the charge of first-degree murder and the life sentence has been, quote, wooed by Hollywood. And she feels that, quote, Hollywood has taken over the criminal justice system. Given that the Hollywood people who are involved here, it seems an odd statement to make. Director Richard Linklater is Texas born and raised. So is Matthew McConaughey. As is Matthew McConaughey. In fact, Richard Linklater, when he has to go to Los Angeles for business, he's he makes a point of getting the hell out of there as fast as he can. The only outlier is Jack Black, who's a California boy, born and raised. But none of that matters because, as we said, blaming Hollywood for being an influence for results one does not like seems to play well. Plus... Shauna Nugent is a lawyer, so she knows full well what D.A. Davidson means when he says he would have sought a lighter sentence for Tita. Tita was convicted of first-degree murder, which carries a sentence of 99 years in prison. Texas also has a crime of passion law on the books, which would provide for a lighter sentence of 2 to 20 years. By the time of his release, Tita had served 17 years. Crimes of passion do not only apply to lovers or to the third party of an affair. Texas Penal Code 19 states that the law pertains to, quote, passion directly caused by and arising out of provocation by the individual killed or another acting with the person killed, which passion arises at the time of the offense and is not solely the result of the former provocation. The law also holds that such passion must be due to, quote, adequate cause. This means, quote, cause that would commonly produce a degree of anger, rage, resentment, or terror in a person of ordinary temper, sufficient to render the mind incapable of cool reflection. 
This is the legal distinction that Davidson is making when he says a lighter sentence. Mm -hmm. Tita was released from prison based on this new information on a $10,000 bond due to the scheduling of a resentencing hearing. He was remanded to Richard Linkletter to live. He was remanded to the director of Bernie, Richard Linkletter, to live in an apartment in Linkletter's garage. Linkletter feels that it got reported strangely. He said there were. It got reported strangely? He said there were headlines such as Judge orders murderer to live with filmmaker. There were jokes immediately on the internet like Zodiac Killer crashing at Fincher's. He felt the judge created the condition that Tita live with Linkletter as a jab at an Austin liberal. Fine, you want him out? He can live with you. On the way to Linkletter's home, Linkletter and Tita made a couple of stops so Tita could see some family members. When they got to Linkletter's property, Tita met the rest of Linkletter's family. And he wanted to see the movie that paved the way for his freedom. He told Linkletter he wasn't sure he would like it. Linkletter told him, you have to like it. It was the first domino. Hmm. Tita found work as a paralegal and started singing in the gay men's chorus. It should be noted that Linkletter, Black, and McConaughey held a private fundraising benefit for Tita's defense fund. Now, I feel I need to clarify here. No one is saying he's innocent. What they're saying is if the information about the abuse is found to be true, and if he is resentenced using the crimes of passion Mm -hmm. law, then at 17 years, he has served his time. Yeah. But no one is claiming an innocence for him. And, you know, considering that Shauna Nugent is putting out this Hollywood blame, it probably doesn't look good that there's a private fundraising event put on by people who work in Hollywood, but the legal reason for that is a condition of the release was Tita was not allowed to make public appearances. Mm -hmm. A private fundraiser is not a public appearance. Mm -hmm. I see you both processing. Well, I I was going to say something. I lost my train of thought. Is she writing a book? Shauna Nugent? Yeah. Uh, not to my knowledge. Okay. Does she have another an ulterior motive that is apparent? When I went back and rewatched the film, she and her father get referenced negatively in okay. the film. Because you see a, a, that projection of when you just monolith something and go, you know, it's Hollywood. is a reflection of something mm-hmm. deeply personal. Yeah. And how does that work when the judge says, fine, we'll release him to you? I mean, how does that play out in Texas? What does that mean? You actually have to find space in your home for this person? I have no idea. I don't know if Linkletter had volunteered or if the judge just selected him. That I couldn't find any information on that. Or just tossed off a statement. Mm -hmm. And then Linkletter took him up on it. Could be. I'd be be very curious what that looked like in, in that moment. Because I don't think they could compel you to have someone stay in your home. I mean, if you've just fundraised or brought forth evidence that the attorneys within that system brought back to the court, that's that's not on you to care for that person. Yeah. That doesn't... I would make the assumption before the determination was made, mm-hmm. it was known that Linkladder was a willing person mm-hmm. for doing this. But I don't, think, I don't think that negates that 
the judge may have been taking a stab at an Austin liberal, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, a lot of this you could, depending on how deep you want to get into this, you could get into the psychology of it and adverse childhood events and what that does to someone's development and why that gets argued in court now, why it is recognized as something to be considered. Mm-hmm. Another interesting aspect of Penal Code 19 is that the crime of passion aspect can only be raised during the sentencing portion of the trial. It cannot be used as a primary defense. But during resentencing, both sides can bring new evidence forward to make their case. Hmm. In March of 2016, Tita's resentencing hearing began. The defense presented that Tita had a disassociative disorder when he killed Marjorie due to abuse in his life. In fact, his uncle, Elmer Doucet, took the stand to deny that he abused Bernie and the two other boys. When he was asked about a suggestive letter that Bernie received from him in prison, he said it was made up and he wrote it because he thought his gay nephew would like it. So, your... Gay nephew supposedly lies about you abusing him in order to gain a lighter sentence. And you think a good idea is to write him a suggestive letter? Well, the letter was received when Tita was initially in prison. So he just wrote him porn to cheer him up? That's his assertion. Sure. Okay. Not because he meant it, but because he thought his gay nephew would like it. Did he clarify what he meant by like it? No. Yeah, and this also goes to, and this has been talked about more with other high-profile cases over the last couple years amidst the Me Too movement, children who others perceive might be gay can become targeted if they're in an environment where they might not be supported, where those kids feel like if I say someone has abused me in some way, especially sexually, and I don't know if they've clarified that's how the uncle was abusing him, but the kid's not going to come forward because their concern is that, well, then people will think it was because I'm gay and then I'm going to out myself. And then they become further victimized because now people know they're going to be quiet. that That they are going to keep that secret. And that may very well be the case, considering Bernie Tita did repress his homosexuality. Because there was the question in the movie, why is he not going out with any girls? Mm-hmm. But you said that he did have a relationship with the gardener. The gardener was male? Yes. Okay, so then he he seemed open about it at that time then. Not open. They were having a, a fling. Yeah. So Marjorie just knew, happened to know yes. about it. Uh, they weren't dating in Carthage by any means. They weren't going out to dinner in the movies. Mm. The prosecution submitted financial documents to show that Tita was spending Marjorie's money, and the day that he murdered her, they had an appointment to see her accountant, where he would have to explain where $3.5 million had gone. That's a lot of money. Chad Baruch of the law firm Johnston Toby Baruch filed a friend of the court brief on the behalf of Nugent's family and pointed out the inconsistencies in Tita's story and evidence that the jury considered in the trial. One, despite Tita's claims to have acted as a result of sudden passion, he admitted to detectives of thinking about murdering Marjorie for several months before doing so. Two, Tita's access to the murder weapon wasn't a matter of happenstance. He had moved the rifle from a closet to a spot close to where he killed Marjorie, further supporting his premeditation of the crime. Hmm. Three, 
Tita didn't shoot Marjorie four times in succession from across the garage. His first shot from across the garage left her paralyzed on the ground, and he then walked over and pumped three more rounds into her from point-blank range. Four, Tita was in financial distress before befriending Marjorie. After becoming her companion, he controlled Marjorie's money, signed checks on her accounts, and pressured her into giving him a power of attorney. Five, after murdering Marjorie, Tita appeared totally unaffected. He was the same old Bernie. Six, in the months after he murdered Marjorie and put her in the freezer, Tita threw parties in her home, used her money to travel to New York and Paris, cashed checks made out to her, sent a letter purporting to bear her signature to Prudential, seeking a wire transfer of $225,000 from her account, spent $50,000 buying gifts for friends, invested $40,000 in a business, purchased a coin collection for $12,000, and bought new crystal and furniture for himself. 7. During his resentencing testimony, Tita was asked whether Marjorie was mean to him. Under oath, Tita replied that Marjorie was possessive, but, quote, I wouldn't say exactly mean. 8. Finally, in what I always have thought, this is the lawyer talking, was the most damaging evidence to Tita, the jury heard testimony after mar murdering Marjorie, Tita took a trip to Nashville, accompanying and sharing a room with another elderly, wealthy widow. Linklater was interviewed during the time of the trial for an article that came out in The Guardian on April 30th, 2016. He talked about how it would tear his family up if Tito were sent back to prison. I have not been able to find a later interview in which Linklater talks about Tita. The only reference in subsequent articles is that the movie may be listed in a list of movies that Linklater has directed, but there have been no further comments made. The only exception is a 48 Hours episode that featured the case. Hmm. Jack Black was also interviewed on this episode. They're awfully quiet. I'm waiting for the, sh I'm waiting for this a shoe to drop. On April twenty second, twenty sixteen, Bernie Tita's charge of first degree murder stood, and he was returned to prison to continue his life sentence. Following the resentencing verdict, Tita's attorneys filed an appeal due to quote infection from outside influences. They cited a grand juror who, when interviewed after the trial, said that he always felt Tita was a phony. They also cited picketers who were outside the courtroom with signs that said, Hollywood should not hijack justice. The appeal was denied. After the appeal was denied, Shauna Nugent said, Justice won, Hollywood zero. Oh, well, how dramatic of her. So it's a fucking culture war, huh? Yeah. They've, tur yeah. they've turned the murder of a woman into a culture war. It is interesting to note that there is no one who disputes that Bernie Tita killed Marjorie Nugent. No one disputes he shot her in the back four times. What is questioned is whether it was premeditated. The legal system has decided it was, but the court of public opinion has not reached a consensus. There are a few in Marjorie's family, largely her son and his family, who feel that Bernie was a con man for whom their mother was just a mark. They believe that Hollywood has infiltrated East Texas. <laughs> infiltrated East Texas? Infiltrated. It's 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 like that. It's the lingo of like cells and communist. Mm -hmm. like, it's all that shit. Which tells you how insular they think they are. Jeez. That they think they have been infiltrated. 
I mean, I'm sure they have televisions. Influence. I mean, in movie theater. I mean, wouldn't yeah. that be, in itself be a, a step toward infiltration and in, in, at least an encroachment? I don't know. Yeah. I no longer care about this. Yeah. At the other end of the spectrum, Jack Black yeah. and Richard Linklater believe that Tita was a kind and loving man. So kind he was drawn to Marjorie, a woman no one in the town liked. Black believes that Tita had such a strong need to be liked which led him to become so ingrained in the community, and that his need was so strong that he did not have that release valve to be an asshole at times, and it all backed up on him. Looking at the situation from the outside, I don't think there's going to be a way to get an answer to this question. No, no, I don't think there is. I, I do think that if he was already traveling around with another elderly lady... um, That's Max of a pattern. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I was doing the research... Now, on, was this also a lady who no one else liked that he felt he had to befriend? <laughs> I, I did not find information on that. But when I was researching this and I saw things like Tita lived in a garage at Linklater's home and, and then the benefit, the more I researched, I went back and forth. My thought was, what the fuck is he doing? This is a guy who murdered someone. Right. But then I really had to research more, and that's when I found the crimes of passion. So it was the pieces of information falling in, which really helped me figure out the timeline and say, we really need to say that everything that happened after the movie and the information that came out, I think fucking vilifies Bernie Tita. However, Jack Black, Matthew McConaughey, Richard Linklater were acting on what they knew before the resentencing trial took place. So we have to remember the timeline in which the information came out and what was known during those times. Because to them, they were befriending a man who had served his time. You do the crime, mm -hmm. you do the time. If it's a disassociative disorder, he should be released and continue his life. And that's what it is. It makes it a little tough to... That's a tough call. It makes mm -hmm. it... Well, it makes it tough to talk about the aftermath. I have not seen a case before where a movie has led to a result like this and that the filmmakers were ingrained with the subject matter. That's what makes this so weird and interesting. I mean, the case itself initially is strange. Yeah. I think everything that happened after the movie was released is even stranger because without understanding the timeline and understanding the support of Tita, it looks fucking awful. Mm -hmm. It looks really awful. The more you understand the timeline and when they had understandings of things, it becomes logical and understandable. And you said there's, there has subsequently been no comment comment by Linklater about this uh, i can't find any comment in an article after that april 30th article and jack black uh i did find a clip online where he gives a tour of the room that tita stayed in oh it was a recent clip within mm -hmm. i, I want to say five years okay so there's they're mm -hmm. presumably still in that in that space Linklater doesn't speak to his guilt or innocence in this clip just he stayed here this was his room and they're able to distinguish the the person they knew versus what came out in the resentencing. And Jack Black does talk to the nature that 
he gleaned from Bernie Tita because there is a theory out there that all of them were just hoodwinked by Tita. Well, I was going to say, mm-hmm. if he has that charisma and power, I mean, what what would make, why is Richard Linklater and why are Richard Linklater, Jack Black, Matthew McConaughey, why are they superior judges of character? I don't know if that's a way to look at it, but what, no. but when Jack Black was asked about this in the 48 hours interview, he says he doesn't buy the, the thought that they were conned by Tita. He says, because that would have had to be a long con that took place long before any of them got involved in the story. But it may not be about conning them specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be just about the long con about who you are and why you're not guilty. Yeah. It could be just, and this could just be his MO. I, this is, this is, this is bizarre. It is a, it's a bizarre story, especially when you bring in the cultural elements from Shauna Nugent and it takes that path, especially when you take, filmmakers being so involved with a guy who has already been convicted of murder, but the focus isn't on what he did. The focus is on his sentence and whether that's the correct sentence for the events that took place. Mm -hmm. And then after that, after his resentencing, I don't find anything being said, Hmm. but I think it's entirely fascinating that this movie, which wasn't even on my radar, I only found it because I searched movies based on a true story on Netflix, and we watched it, and just the impact that this movie had in the town of Carthage, Texas, I find to be really, really interesting. But it's funny, not funny haha, but you go back to all this because my very initial impression watching this movie was that the movie was trying to get forth, put forth. That he was a con man mm-hmm. because he was making friends with all these elderly ladies. Yep. And maybe they weren't trying to put that forth at all. They were just trying to tell the story. But that still is what stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Linklater doesn't have a very, um, there's a very thin line, it seems, between if there is one at all between his actors and their parts. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of even the Sunrise series. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I mean, maybe it's why he gets such great, great films. And what do you mean by that? I mean that he's he seems to be invested in his films more in more than a sense of direction and production. It seems that he's legitimately invested in the human characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I can as see that. they as they are, and he genuinely feels for them in some capacity, or in, in this case, a large capacity. Yeah. It's a, it's a trip. And I find it interesting because the movie's end credits start with footage of Jack Black with Bernie Tita talking to him in prison. Yeah, that's just weird to which, me. Which, to me, that evokes a sympathy that existed before all of these other events mm-hmm. rolled out. Mm-hmm. So there was some sympathy taking place towards mm-hmm. Tita at that time. I, I do remember getting a really gross feeling at the end when they were showing the pictures of them in prison visiting with him mm-hmm. i mean how did they even get to take pictures in there with him i mean i don't know what the rules are at hollywood at invaded prison. and infiltrated, infiltrated yeah. yeah yeah well and and jack black was asked about that in the 48 hours interview uh-huh. about meeting with bernie tita uh-huh. and when you talked to him did you get a sense of 
anything regarding a murder. Mm-hmm. And Jack Blance, Black said, no, not at all. Yeah, but that, again, that's like, ridiculous. Yeah. You're asking an actor to mm-hmm. diagnose yeah. and get a sense. Of, how, how can you get a sense of whether one is a murderer or not? Yeah. Yeah. And Jack Black said, if you're going to play someone who's living, then you go talk to them. It's one of the things that you just have to do. And well, to that, I give him credit on doing something based on a real person. He, he went and did his homework. And if you have the person available to you in order to have that conversation, that's what he did. That's his job as an actor sure. in portraying someone. Uh, so considering the evidence that was presented at the second sentencing hearing was also presented at the first trial. Mm-hmm. Do we need to reassess the grade we gave Bernie? I don't think so, because what you're talking about is a different result from the same information, but the movie was just about that information at the time. Mm-hmm. So you stay so with... it, it's that doesn't change the assessment of what happened up to the point of the movie being made. So you stay with a B. Yeah. John? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sticking. I'm sticking with a B as well. This, I think, was just a wholly fascinating movie to research. And oddly enough, not because of the facts in the movie, <laughs> but because of everything that happened afterwards. It was just... Yeah, I just feel like I need to take a shower. Yeah. Oh, there's a Nick factor to it, most definitely. But I like understanding those timelines and understanding why people feel the way they feel about a person. Mm-hmm. And for Bernie Tita, he, he was a guy who people found to be empathic and giving. And I, I could see why people in Carthage had sympathy for him. I don't know. And maybe part of it's just me. When someone is that nice to everyone across the board all the time, I am immediately suspicious Likewise. because nobody is that nice all the time to everyone. Unless you're deranged. Unless you're deranged. Yeah. Because even if you don't like someone and you don't want to actively show it in some way, you're probably not going to engage with them happily. And I don't know. Maybe some people would, but I still don't trust that. You, well, it feels it, like a it feels it, like a super salesman or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it feels very slick and smarmy. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for talking about Bernie. Stop it. Don. Thank you, Don. Stop it. Do it again. You can take me out of this. All right. So bees all around for Bernie for the fact check. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, Don. <laughs> Go forth and be with God. Shut up. <laughs> That wraps up another episode of Biopics Mostly Suck. This was a really interesting episode to research. We went on a bit of a hiatus last year, and it has been about a year between our recording of this discussion and the editing of the discussion. And because I said so many times that the director, Richard Linklater, had not spoken about Bernie since 2016, I did some additional research while preparing this episode to release to see if that was still the case. And I came across an article that I hadn't found in my initial research. It's an article by Linklater, written for the Texas Tribune, at the time of the resentencing trial of Bernie Tita. And he was talking about his involvement with the case, and he fleshes out his approach towards making the film and towards the real people who were involved with the story. I've posted the article to our website, and it's a great example of how filmmakers approach these types of projects with empathy and concern. It was also satisfying to find out that 
Linklater seems just as frustrated by the circumstances of all of the elements in the story as you heard John and Don and myself were. Hey, let us know if you like what we're doing here. Please subscribe using your favorite podcasting platform. We are literally everywhere. You can also find all of the resources that we use to build this episode at biopicsmostlysuck.com slash Bernie. I usually throw some goodies on the episode pages like videos or pictures. And for Bernie, I have a couple clips from that 48 Hours episode with Jack Black interviewed that was mentioned in our discussion. How are we doing with this project? Let us know. I'd like to hear from you guys out there. It's been a while. Go like us on Facebook and Twitter at the handle of at Mostly Suck. You can also find us on Instagram at at Mostly Suck. Or just send us your feedback through the website, biopicsmostlysuck.com. And you can recommend which movies you would like us to use for an episode. And when we do, we'll share the true story behind that movie based on a true story. Take care, everyone.